You're listening to Take Care from WRVO Public Media. I'm Jason Smith. And I'm Catherine Loper. After any diagnosis, it's natural to want to seek answers and support. Thanks to modern technology, there are options for those with an infertility diagnosis. From timing intercourse to provoking ovulation to performing artificial insemination, there are a range of procedures and approaches that can help. With us to discuss these is the CNY Fertility Center's Dr. Maribel Verdialis. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having me. We know a lot of couples tend to go through issues with infertility, and it's a pretty sensitive topic. But is there a a number that you can put on that? How many couples or individuals deal with infertility? So roughly about 10 to 15 percent of couples deal with uh, issues in the reproduction. Has that number gone up or down in recent years? I don't know. Empirically, I've noticed in my practice that that number has gone up and the age range has increased as well. So I have younger patients seeking help and I have older patients seeking help. And there are many reasons why that's happening. But I've seen the range go bigger and maybe that's what's driving the numbers a little higher. I know this is kind of a broad question, but what are some of the causes of infertility? So some of the causes are male factor, okay? So it takes, I joke around with the patients, it takes four things to make a baby. Healthy sperm, healthy egg, healthy uterus and tubes, and a healthy vessel. If any of those issues is compromised, and sometimes more than one, then we're going to have problems conceiving naturally. So let's talk about the sperm, and it could be job-related. I have a gentleman with a low sperm count, and because of the type of job he does, it affects his count. It could be related to, you know, health issues like diabetes, birth defects, and then you have the egg factor, which it's affected in many ways, including deviations from the endocrine system. So maybe a thyroid problem is going to show up as a decreased ovarian reserve issue. Then you have a uterine issue or a tubal issue. So those are essentially the four main problems. Other than systemic diseases, that's why I like including the vessel. So if somebody has any sort of autoimmune or hypercoagulation, so you know they clot easier than somebody else, that could also show as issues with conceiving or retaining the pregnancy. Now, there's also a chance that that infertility, regardless of the testing that you do, may not have a clear cause, and that's something that you refer to as unexplained infertility. Can you try to define what that means? That means that after we do all of the testing and all of the evaluation, everything seems to be fine. So we don't seem to have a sperm issue. We don't seem to have an egg issue or a tube or a vessel or a uterine issue, and the couple just simply can't get pregnant. There are a lot of hypotheses on why that happens, including, you know, subclinical autoimmune issues or inflammation, but it's all up in the air. And how often do couples or individuals come up against that type of diagnosis? I would say within that particular group, 10, 15 percent that we don't know exactly what's going on. Is there any data in your experience that shows whether you may find more men being infertile or women? Is it kind of split down the middle? In my experience, it's kind of split down the middle. Or I see more and more a compounded effect, meaning there is some issues with the male and some issues with the female. 
We know that there are a lot of options when couples are faced with an infertility diagnosis. So can you walk us through some of the options that couples have available to them? So I tell all of our couples that the workup is very important, regardless of the reason they're coming in, because I sometimes get people after having tubal reversals or vasectomy reversals wondering why is the workup so extensive because, you know, our biologies do change. We age, you know, there's wear, tear. But let's say after we've figured out what's happening with that individual couple, if the tubes are open, we can start with something as simple as oral medication and time intercourse. Us as CNY, we believe in a very holistic approach, so we will try to improve overall health that will then improve things. We know we, we deal with a diet and certain supplements that have been suggested to improve fertility. But going back to the interventional options, oral medication and time intercourse would be your very basic. Then you can move up the ladder with oral medication, provoking ovulation, and then performing artificial insemination. And that could be in a minimally monitor setting or a very intensely monitor setting with the patient coming to the office every few days or so. And then you go into the more intense protocols where you might add some of the injections that people talk about, some of the IVF meds, but then just do the artificial insemination. And then you have the IVF with all its variants. And then after that, you go into donor egg, donor sperm, surrogate mothers. It's a pretty extensive gamut of choices. Yeah, there are a lot of options seemingly available. Are any of those treatments, do they tend to be more popular or more successful than others? It depends on the population and the person. We have tried to gather all of the things that could improve IVF, for example, that seems to be the most popular in our office, just straightforward IVF, the CNY way. And I point out the CNY way because there's traditional IVF, but we do it a little different. We do something called assisted hatching and ICSI on everybody. That means we handpick the best sperm and actually put it inside the egg. In a lot of clinics, that would be an additional cost. We just do it like that for everybody to optimize success rates. But that seems to be the most popular. And I would imagine, just like in other areas of medicine, there are some more experimental treatment options or even some clinical trials. What kind of treatments are there that might be a little bit more experimental and are they promising? So we're huge on dealing with that, you know, theory of inflammation and autoimmunity. So Dr. Kills, the founder, he's huge on what we call the immune protocols. So we use medications traditionally used by rheumatologists to deal with autoimmune disorders. We use them off-label to try to help these women get pregnant and stay pregnant. I tend to also add some other from the natural side, again, with the same principle in mind, you know, through glandular therapy and other nutritional manipulations to try to also help the patient succeed no matter the treatment they're choosing. When couples have to go through these options when they face an infertility diagnosis and whichever option they choose, what does the success rate tend to be? Does it usually take more than one treatment? That's a question I get asked all the time. What's the success rate? The best IVF possible, it's quoted at 50% chance of success. 
So that's a kind of a 50-50 chance that is kind of the best technology we have because there's still a lot of unknowns in the human biology and reproduction. Giving kind of an estimate on how many tries people will need to get pregnant, I think it would not be a fair thing to say. The only thing I can say is that it's the best we have to offer them and statistics are at 50%. Outside of the actual medical treatments, what kind of support is offered for couples? Are there things like support groups, counseling options, that kind of thing? Absolutely. This is a very, very stressful process emotionally, physically. And then on top of that, some of the medications that we use alter, you know, the emotions of the women. So they're already stressed out because of what they're going through. And then the medications on top of that can get them a little edgy. So we have multiple venues. All of our locations do have wellness centers that provide fertility massage, acupuncture, relaxation methods. We have yoga, fertility yoga. At this time, it's mostly coming out of the Rochester office, but it is virtual, so the patients can do it with the instructor via the internet. We have internal support groups as well as the patients throughout the nation have their own support groups, sometimes by area, sometimes by, you know, their own personal issues. And if any of that does not work for the patient, we can definitely refer out to somebody that can help her walk this path. Now, I know this varies widely from state to state, but generally speaking, has there been an increase in the availability of insurance coverage for these infertility treatments? So I recently found out after a very, very intense fight that New York State is now covering fertility treatments. But to my knowledge, that would be the only state that will mandate fertility treatment from now on. I know that individual insurances and policies, some will have fertility coverage, either partially or complete, but for the most part, there is no coverage at all. Is there a push that you know of at the federal level for legislation that could make these types of treatments more accessible to more people? I don't know if at a federal level. I know that CNY being a mostly New York company, they were part of the movement to push at the state level, and thank God, you know, they were successful at getting it through. So I'm not aware of those type of movements in Georgia where I live, but I'm sure that they might be either happening or about to. (laughs) I want to talk about awareness just for a minute. Just about every medical issue, you know, you want to work to increase awareness. And I'm wondering how does awareness impact progress on infertility, maybe in the form of legislation or even efforts to sort of reduce the stigma? You'd be surprised what we have discussed before. You know, the numbers are going up. The people seeking our help, the ranges are getting broader. And I think that there should be an awareness that this could happen to anybody. We have a new program called Preserve as women are taking charge of their fertility and realizing that, you know, maybe they haven't found Mr. Right at that time, but they do want to preserve their fertility. We have a great program so they can freeze their eggs at a younger age without having what we call the clock ticking, you know, 
So I think that there is a general awareness that's increasing, but definitely we need to put more efforts to make people aware of things that could impact their fertility and even behavior-wise at a younger age that could have major repercussions later on. So I agree with you. Education will be key. From your perspective, where do you see research and treatment headed for infertility? Is there anything promising that you're seeing on the horizon? There's a few things in the horizon, and Dr. Kills is always looking for what's next. So I think that it'll be dealing with those unknown, trying to really, really crank it down to why, you know, is it immune? Is it what it is? Is it genetic? So there's a lot of that going on. And then anti-aging, just trying to figure out how to push that envelope and maybe even reverse menopause. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you.